Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. What is up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of the Best Life Podcast, and this is Jill, and I wanted to do a quick intro for today's guest. So today, we are having New York Times bestselling author Adam Borenstein on the podcast, and Adam was the... Um, fitness editor at Men's Health Magazine for a long time. He has done collaborations with Arnold Schwarzenegger. He is a best-selling author. This is his ninth book that we get to talk to him about today. It's called You Can't Screw This Up. It is a, actually, it's a diet book, but it comes at it from like a psychology perspective. And we wanted to get Adam on because he has been in the industry for a very long time. In fact, Adam and I have been friends uh, for a while. And when I was thinking about doing the Moderation 365 book about 10 years ago now, maybe nine years ago, Adam was actually the one who I was hoping was going to help me. It ended up not coming to fruition for a variety of reasons. Uh, but Adam is an amazing resource. And in this episode today, you're going to hear him talk about um, his nine-year journey into creating this book as well as some personal stuff that he has you know, been dealing with in his own life that has really impacted uh, his message in this book. And I love this because there could not be, we, as soon as I saw the cover of this book, I knew we had to have him on this podcast because Danny and I talk about this quite a bit around this idea of moderation, mindfulness, uh, you know, unlearning old food narratives. You guys know that we talk a lot about that. That was our own journey. And the things that Adam shared in today's episode just validate all of those things even more. And he has a whole bunch of studies to back up his findings. And I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy this episode. Make sure you go get his book. It's called You Can't Screw This Up. And it is a revolutionary, as far as I'm concerned, a revolutionary book in the nutrition and diet space. And some of the things we talked about on this podcast is around marketing and how to get this message, this message that actually does help people. How do we get it out to them in a way that they can hear it? As we know, the marketing space, especially around diet books and fitness and nutrition is very sensational. And what Adam talks about is very basic stuff around things like uh, self-compassion and all or nothing mentality and how to unlearn some of our old nutrition narratives and some of the marketing that maybe we have learned as someone who's been in the industry or been someone who's dieted for a long time. And Adam shares a lot of his personal journey through this book and through his own life. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. So make sure you follow him on Instagram at Born Fitness and go to can'tscrewthisup.com to check out the book as well as all the bonuses and connect with him there. But make sure you guys go get it. And I think you're really going to enjoy this. Uh, but how are you? What's been going on? Uh, the honest answer, things are chaotic and challenging and emotional and draining. Uh, yeah, that's that. real. That is it, yeah. Um, it's just, it's been a year. I don't know what to say. It's been a year of a lot of death and a lot of sickness and it continues mm. the, the death is not is not done so that kind of puts all of this stuff into context it was funny you know I, i've truly been working on this book for nine years it took me forever to figure this one out and it finally got done and had this beautiful marketing plan and then everyone just started dying that mattered and the book just didn't really matter that much and then probably a few weeks ago my publisher was like uh, we know you've been going through a lot, but uh, you still got this like date coming up. And I was like, yes, I do. 
and I will do all Fuck. I can. And then they continue to like kind of make things more difficult than it needed to be, in my opinion. Wow. They're trying their best. Everyone's trying their best, but making it too complicated. So uh, this one, my dad is very, very sick. And I mm. this book to my dad, not thinking that he was going to be around. He is, although I don't know how much time he has left. I literally just got off mm. the phone with him. So, uh, you know, it's bittersweet. But I got to give him the book, what was it, three days ago? Because I literally mm. just got my copies. And that was pretty special. Mm. <laughs> Um, I saw your I saw I your post in front of you guys. So uh, <laughs> it's okay. We cry on this podcast all the time. I cry oh. every day, right? At now. least, at least every every episode I cry. So I saw your post about your father-in-law that father-in-law passed. Passed a few months yeah. ago. My grandfather, my dad's dad, passed. All the men. A month ago, all the men are going. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting place to be. It's a it's a tough one. My dad was diagnosed with. Uh, terminal brain cancer a while ago he was given six months he's made it almost three years but um in january another tumor popped up and then another one and he just had a scan on sunday and they just got it back today it's not good news um Mm. so I, i have had plenty of time to prepare but it is much different um watching this thing attack ruthlessly mm. than it is preparing for the inevitability right this is a disease that was undefeated they told us from day one he will not beat this it is a question of how long he can outlast it and again they gave him most people give him six months where he was when they discovered it he has beat every single odd and done all the things that they say you can't do well and now it's taking its shots um naturally right when all of this is going on so it uh yeah it, when we talk about what matters in life, which is so much of what this book is about, it does kind of create a, the right perspective on, you know, what health should mm-hmm. be rather than I think what we portray it or portend it to be. For sure. No, I'm so sorry to hear that. And yeah, I mean, I haven't had the experience. Danny lost her mom two years ago, about a year and a half ago. And it was melanoma and it spread to the brain. And so she was definitely the the primary caregiver for her mom. And it's, we're at that age. It's like so just scary, you know, to like, these are like your superheroes, you know, these are like the people that like you look up to and they're like, what are we going to do if they're not here? You know, so I can't imagine how that feels. Shitty. For Rachel too, yeah. Shitty. It feels shitty, and um, it's part of life, right? So it, it, it is a shitty part of life, and you know, as they say, you know, if we didn't have the lows, I don't think the the highs would be as sweet. And it sucks that death is one of the lows, but it is definitely, you know, we all know how all of this ends for all of us, and not in a morbid way, but in a way that kind of reminds us to just enjoy and make the most of the time we have to love up on our people, take care of ourselves. Yeah. yeah. And love on our people, love on them while they're here because we don't know how long we get them. It's interesting. The perspective piece on what matters. And I'm glad you brought this up and I didn't think we'd uh, jump into this on the podcast, but I am actually, I, th- I think that this is actually the conversation that needs to happen. Um, when I lost my mom as well, like I was actually the, the week she went into hospice, I was supposed to meet with my um, like book coach and she was helping me put together my proposal for agent. 
and we just stopped. And then I think last January we tried to get, to get back together and I just wasn't mentally there. And st- I'm just barely getting to where I finally can focus on this. But it was one of those things where it's like, this just doesn't matter to me that much anymore. And so many things just that did matter just don't matter. And I think it's really, really fascinating. And maybe just from our, our, all of us coming from the fitness background, I think that for a long time when I was in the fitness industry, I really, really wanted to help people like lose weight, right? That was the big thing. And the 2011 the biggest losers and all of that stuff was going on. And then I just felt like life was so much more than that. And so I'm curious like about how having to do something anyway and even if you're kind of like this doesn't really matter how did that shift your message in working on this yeah um right now i don't want i want to do it because i love this book Mm. i don't want to do it because time feels so short and sometimes time is Mm. cool right so i'm gonna i'm gonna have to leave something on the table and something on the table is going to be some promotion because there isn't going to be time left with my dad right yeah um and that sucks I spent nine years on this book. That is a cruel trick. My dad would be dying at the same time that it comes out. I'm not sad that I'm promoted. I'm sad that my dad's going. Right. Yeah. Um, but this book doesn't get done without watching my dad. So my dad got diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Um, he found out like right after my brother got married he had a covid wedding right he he was gonna he'd been married uh, it was uh dating his girlfriend forever like 10 plus years right and they're just kind of waiting 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 and uh my brother's now wife her mom had a, a very like near-death experience and they just realized like time is short because it's covid they wanted to wait to do it there and they're just kind of like fuck it let's go get married i officiated the ceremony and they're like let's just be with our people and they had i think like the best 12 person wedding in the history of 12 people wedding right it was just it was amazing and insane and then we realized that something's wrong with my dad at this event and my dad's just a very proud person and it's like how do we get through to dad to get him to go to see a doctor because he's not going to want to see a doctor and we just the four of us just like asked him like please go see a doctor he goes in it's supposed to be a quick checkup there all day big fucking tumor glioblastoma gliosarcoma like you don't have much time um my dad's a, a quiet person hardworking, dedicated himself to his family his whole life but it's not someone that i would typically call an optimist um kind of just like do his own thing and he was he was happy and being angry is the best way that i would put it you know he was just like he was happy but if you talk about most things he was always like angry about something but that was like his way of communicating my dad got diagnosed and he became quite possibly the most optimistic person in the world Wow. He looked at this diagnosis completely differently. Um, you know, I dedicated the book to my dad, and I said that, like, watching him is what I learned. You know, he was given a death sentence, right? No one beats this thing. And he turned it into a life sentence. And it was, I was watching, he's like, it's, it's funny to me. And then I watched my dad just, like, succeed one thing after another. He had, like, surgery to remove part of the tumor, did chemo, did radiation. Like, every day after chemo and radiation, he would go and, like, lift weights, right? He was just like, I'm going to beat wow. this freaking thing. He made a list, all the places, like little perverti- proverbial bucket list. And he's like, I'm going to yeah. do it. He was skiing in winters. He was crushing. I mean, it's the saddest thing. My dad was skiing last December. Wow. And, like he can like barely move right now because this thing just, when it hits, it, it doesn't hold up at all. So I watched my dad approach death with a completely different perspective. 
And I'm sitting here with this book, which I first came up with an idea with in 2014. Pitch wrote a proposal in 2017. Uh, book agent was like, this is hot garbage. And it really hurt at the time. He was right. It just like, I had this big ambitious vision of like writing a book of not about like what it takes to get in better shape, but what it takes to actually overcome all the reasons why you know, people can get in shape and then like get out of shape, lose a little bit of weight, gain it back, try to build a habit, never be able to stick with it. This idea of like, if health is so important, why is it so difficult for people to change? So the ambition and the vision of the book was always the same, but the approach was wrong because I was still approaching it too much of like what we need to do tactically from a health standpoint, as opposed to strategically from a behavioral standpoint. We need the tactical application of like, how do we go ahead and live in an environment that in many ways is like fighting against us, right? The food environment is not designed in a way to make us healthier at all. And it doesn't mean that we can't be healthy. It doesn't mean that we can't still eat the foods that we love, right? And you're all about that moderation approach, but it does mean that we have to be uh, a little bit more intentional, a little bit under, more understanding. So I, I was still like lost in the, like the, how do I pull this all off? And my my dad's approach of changing his thinking was essentially like the light bulb moment of like, oh, I kind of have to change the way I think about solving the problem. Mm. The problem is not teaching people like what to eat, right? If it was just a plan or a meal plan that people needed, everyone would be healthier because those things are a commodity at this point. I need to understand like what are the roadblocks that stand in people's way? And I need to discuss... Uh, pretty candidly what those are because the people know that they they deal with them but they're probably not willing to admit it out loud right how do we have candid conversations about the things that we think but do not say uh, how do i identify why we feel that way mm-hmm. change that including our own self-perception because our self-perception is this voice that is fundamentally telling us that we are going to fail right i put mm-hmm. people on this plan and the thing that i kept on hearing the book was not originally called you can't screw this up and all of them kept on saying to me, I'm going to screw this up. I'm going to screw this up. I'm going to screw Interesting. this up. And it was right there in front of me. It's just like, even the people who are having success, losing 10, 15 pounds in the, like the early stages of this, like, I'm going to screw this up because that's their experience. Right. How much of this becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy? How much of this is they feel they're going to screw it up because they know they're already doing something that is unsustainable? Like, mm-hmm. like they can see that like the moment is coming where it's all going to fall apart. How much of it is, you know, I'm going to screw this up because they don't believe that they can be healthy. They don't believe they have the keys and they don't believe that they can live the life that they want. Right. I say that, you know, in the book that everyone talks about, like a diet is a lifestyle, but like very few of these books ever ask what type of life people want to live. Right. And I was like, what people do, what type of life do people want to live? And how can we kind of meet them where they are to show them how to do that? And there is no way in hell without watching my dad take a completely different perspective of looking at the problem differently. Could I have figured that out? And uh, it was incredibly helpful in writing this. It allowed me and my dad to bond and talk about a lot of things and that we probably wouldn't mm-hmm. talk about otherwise. And it's what makes the book so special and also so bittersweet at the same time. Bittersweet. That is really interesting. And I just, for people listening, this is, the book is called You Can't Screw This Up. And I absolutely was just, the the tagline, you fucking nailed it, which was why eating takeout, enjoying dessert, and taking the stress out of dieting leads to weight loss that lasts. And you're definitely speaking our language for sure. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Danny was a, um, she was a national level figure competitor. And so, um, 
you know, both of us sort of came out of that when you say uh, there's a right way to do it, right? That's, I think when people say, I'm going to screw this up, it's probably because their expectation of what they need to be or what they need to, what the diet they need to be following. And I, I do believe that this is perpetuated by us, honestly, in a lot of ways, our marketing and the way that friends and professionals have talked about this thing is I can only be successful if I'm perfect. And it sounds like you're sort of helping people change their paradigm about what success looks like versus, you know, assuming their success means they have to be shredded, they have to have a six pack, they got to, you know, they have to eat this meal plan perfectly or else they are messing up. And that was my experience too, obviously working with our clients is they really felt like if they weren't perfect with their eating, then why even bother? And they would just completely go off the rails. And so, yeah, can you share with us a little bit about the, like the take home message what is the, what's the paradigm shift or what did your dad help you? How did your dad help you see through a different lens? Yeah, I think the, the lens was like, stop trying to solve the same problem, which is how to make people eat healthier, right? Mm. The problem is- really, People know what to eat. Right, like in general, like we all have differing uh, knowledge or ability of like what healthy food are, but like in general, people can identify a vegetable and they can identify fast food just fine. I don't think education <laughs> is the gap between what helps people be healthier. And I mean that in a sincere way, because how fucking frustrating it is when you're like, I know what I should be eating, but like, I can't fucking do this. Oh, mm-hmm. and I, I've heard that for like 20 years. And Joe, I know you're the same. Right. Danny, I imagine the same. It hurts getting those messages, right? It hurts, especially when you can't figure it out and you're just like controlled by this. And so what I needed to do was really understand how people were feeling internally because i think it's the you know our self-perceptions guide our actions our actions guide our motivation we think that it goes motivation action self-perception right james clear talks about this but it's really self-perception action motivation that is the flow of events so most people think that they are unhealthy as opposed to i am a healthy person but i have not figured out whatever it is that will work for me so, when you say self-perception, you mean like identity? Yeah. Like I identify as someone who is, okay, so we're all, everything stems from like that, that right. identity. So if you think that you're yeah. not a healthy person as opposed to I haven't figured this out, that's going to create cognitive dissonance because at some point that thought line is going to corrode and undercut whatever it is you were doing. Because at the first moment that you quote unquote screw up, you're like, oh no, I've done it again. And one of two things happen. A, you just say, fuck it right? You get a case of the fuckets and you eat everything and you quit for months, months on end. And the research is pretty strong about this, right? There's this fascinating study at UCLA where they compared dieters and non-dieters over like a two-year period. And the non-dieters, you know, had better results than the dieters. Now, both (laughs) gained weight, but what happened is on average, the average person gains one to two pounds per year, specifically from the time they're like 20 to 40. So it's not like we gain all this weight overnight, right? It is a slow burn. It is like water torture. And like 20 years later, you've gained 20 to 40 pounds. But the people who dieted are gaining two to three times that weight because they lose Mm. your typical three to four pounds in that like month period and they gain like seven to 10. So the net is much more negative. And you start looking at all this and you start realizing how much people are like catastrophizing stuff. And you start realizing all the stress that is around eating and people are stressing multiple times about every single meal. And it boils up and you realize you know, that one option is you'd say, fuck it. And option number two is like, when you screw up, you then try and compensate for it, right? I had dessert, so I have to fast tomorrow. I have to train three times. I need to do my mm-hmm. detox. I'm going to do a water fast. And all of these extremes 
only push you further into guilt, further into shame. The moment you eat like a piece of bread, you bloat and you feel terrible. And you're like, oh my God, I knew it. I could never eat carbs. Why should I even do this? And you eventually still end up in that fuck it stage. What happens if knowing that people who don't diet, who they never really go through that fuck it stage because they're not like living in this manipulative environment of wellness where like everything has to be perfection. What happens when these perceived mistakes are acted like planned experiences, right? What happens when the day that you're stressed out and you can't cook a home-cooked meal, you just order takeout because, yeah, this is a lot less stressful than freaking out. What happens when you eat dessert and the very next day you just act like nothing happened? What happens when you miss a workout and you don't stress about it and you just like get back on and fall back on these foundational habits? And what we see is that the moment that people think they are screwing up, is a blip. It's not a mistake at all. The mistake is acting like you screwed up in mm -hmm. all of these compensatory behaviors. So if you're thinking about this at a fork in the road, the fork isn't the behavior, it's your reaction. And we see the same things with emotion. A study came out literally last week about uh, people who are happier, live longer, have less heart disease, focusing on uh, how they deal with negative emotions. And it's mm. not the negative emotion that is the problem. It is how we catastrophize the negative emotions. Emotions are actually very, very fleeting. They last for a relatively short period of time. What lasts for a long time is our internal shame, guilt, and self-loathing because we feel bad that we have these emotions, which is ridiculous. We're human. We're going to have negative emotions. We're going to have ridiculous, uh, you know, hard times. And it is ridiculous for us to not act like that's okay. So anyone who act either neutral, like I'm just going to sit in this and realize that it's a shitty day, or positive, this is gonna pass. They have all these better outcomes. The people who catastrophize have their negative mm -hmm. outcomes from an emotional standpoint. The same is true with food. If we stop acting like these screw up or screw up, because they're not, they're really not, right? The wellness industry will make you believe that the moment you have a gram of sugar, you're, you're, well, I mean, look at all these popular programs, right? Like 75 hard, you got to start over if you mess up one day, right. you know, and they, and the same thing with whole 30, right? Like, I mean, not to like call out some, but like also to call out some, like, but like, that's what the idea is. Like, if you can't be perfect, then you have to start from day one. And so that's why I say we perpetuate this. Right. And, this. and for most people, like if you're at a certain level of fitness or self-confidence or self-perception or habits. I would argue that some of those programs can't be effective. But for the average person, for most people, they're at, at like a zero, not at a one. And by zero or one, I mean like zero, they're not, they don't feel that they're controlled and haven't figured out one, okay. they haven't figured out. One is not, I'm shredded. One is like, I am in control and I do not freak out about all of this stuff. If you want to pursue additional things and you want to try and experiment with some stuff, knock yourself out with that stuff. If you're yet to be at the point where you're in control, why are you starting with the most complicated, extreme. stressful, <laughs> extreme environment? You know, and the example I make in the book is if you would take this out of the context of nutrition and apply it anywhere else, you'd be like, that's so stupid. Like, do you start someone with advanced calculus and math? No, we teach them addition and subtraction and we fundamentally build. If you're teaching someone to swim, do you throw them in the end? <laughs> No, like for kids, literally, I got two young kids. You put them in the shower and you, you put their feet in the water so they realize that like the water isn't scary. And then you teach them how to like stand in the water. And then you teach them how to tread water. Like there is a progression. And I, I don't always think it's done intentionally, although sometimes I, I think it is that like there is the, 
know, the fallacy or the curse of knowledge where the people who create these books and build these plans tell people like, do what I do now, realizing that they never started there. That is such an unfair comparison. And then we shame them and you're like, oh, you can't be hard. Oh, you can't remove all these foods. And I'm like, you didn't remove all those foods either. Like you progressed your way to figure out what works for you. And never would I want to sit on my high horse and be like, guys, I want you to follow my exact lifestyle. What an arrogant, stupid thing to say. I would much rather say, no, I care about you winning the long game. Here are some foundational tools that apply no matter what your lifestyle is, no matter what your dietary preference is. I'm not here to tell you whether you should be vegan or carnivore. I have my personal preference, but who am I to judge your life? I will tell you, depending on what those do, there are certain things that give you a higher likelihood of success. And one of those things is definitely creating boundaries. Another one of those things is definitely not catastrophizing and acting like you screw up, right? The idea of I talk about, I don't, you, you don't want 100% weeks. That's way too much stress. No way. Fuck the 100% week. You want no 0% weeks. If you have no 0% weeks, you are going to win. You are going to be healthy. You are going to feel good. You are going to have your sanity. And then you got to teach people how to have those no 0% weeks. You have to teach them what to expect, right? Falling off the wagon is completely normal and expected. The point is like, act like the ride kicks you off the wagon a few times. Don't act like it's a problem. Don't act like you screwed up. Act like this is the journey because that's life. Yeah, it's so good. You know, it reminds you of, I had this um, conversation with this woman uh, years ago, and I was giving a talk, a nutrition talk on Mod 365, and she said, every day I come home from work, I drive home, and I stop at CVS, and I pick up something I need, and I always, I try not to, but every day... I buy a Reese's peanut butter cup and I just hate it so much because every time I do it and I told her, what if you just incorporated that into your day? What if that was just part of the day? Because then you wouldn't again, like keep on the shame and the guilt and then go home and keep eating everything because you messed, you quote unquote messed up. And she like blew her mind. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, a Reese's peanut butter cup is 90 calories. That's it. It's not going to completely derail you. So I love this idea. It totally resonates with me around shifting how we're looking at these examples. And I guess the follow-up question as a marketer, I, I want your take on this too. How do we make something like this, what you're talking about, how do we make it sexy enough for people to actually do in practice, right? Because you know what's sexy, Adam, is I go to the store, I got the food list, I got the, per I'm going to, you know, I got the recipes and I got, I'm going to get the stuff and I got the Tupperwares ready and like, I'm going to get excited about this new diet that's going to be a complete overhaul of everything I've been doing for the last, you know, 30 years. And I'm excited because I'm getting new drastic results. And we obviously know it doesn't work. So how do you get someone bought into this idea and get them excited about doing something like this? It's really hard. Or do you? It's really hard. Um, I think the way that I get people excited about it, like, aren't you tired of just being miserable dieting? <laughs> right? Like, yes. the, the sexy answer is like, it, it's interesting. So uh, I'm working uh, on, on the side and my side I'm on a documentary about our messed up wellness industry. And I'm talking to the director about this. And I was asking her and she's directing this film about all of the healthy lies in the wellness industry. And I'm like, what did you feel your healthiest? And she's like, ah, oh, I was doing fasted cardio. I was eating three protein bars a day. I was doing this. And I was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. This is when you feel you were your, your healthiest. She's like, well, I, 
I looked my best. I'm like, how did you feel? She's like, I felt like shit. And I was like, yeah, you're eating three protein bars a day. <laughs> yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> I was absolutely miserable. And like the, the hard part is, is that we associate complication with effectiveness. Right? And I talk about this in the book, like literally if you show something like complicated and fMRI scans, like our brains light up. If you show something like so simple, we're like, it's too easy, it can't work. It's too easy, it can't, moderation 365, how could that possibly work? Moderation, what a joke. Okay, moderation, right? It's, right. It, it isn't fair because our brains, our own hard wiring reacts to the stuff that oftentimes is what I call a trap door. And the funny thing about a trap door is that like when you think about the old cartoons that like we grew up on, like everyone can see the trap door. You're watching and like, why are you standing on this thing? It's right there. But the person on the trap door has no idea. And I need people to see that like you're standing on a trap door and you have no idea. What's sexy? It's nice to order takeout food and be guilt free. It is really nice to eat dessert and not worry about it. It's great to have alcohol occasionally and not stress about it. And like being healthy shouldn't fundamentally stress you out every single day. That's really sexy to me, but like it's not a detox. It's not uh, you know, a new mechanism. It's not a brand new diet, but it is a new way of looking at food and health where the things that we think we need to do in order to be our healthiest self are not accurate. When you find out that you loosen up the reins on a lot of these things and truly put yourself in control, you realize that so many of the things that you were worrying about have minimal or no impact on your health physically, but especially mentally. And I would argue that most diets break us mentally, and that is why we fail physically. And that was the whole point. That was the initial premise in 2014 of the book. Diets are breaking us mentally, and that is why we fail physically. And that is why the wellness industry has gone from less of a focus on wellness and more of a focus on industry. All of these extreme diets are just creating diametrically opposed camps where people can become mm -hmm. more religious, more zealot about it, and it gets people to dig in deeper on, I believe in this, you must be wrong, I believe in this. So more diet factions, more extremes coming out benefits the overall industry because there's more things we can sell you, there's more extremes we can take, and there's a villain that you can point at. Every single diet book is written the exact same way where we create the dietary villain. It's carbs, it's fat, it's protein, it's gluten, it's dairy, it's lectins, it's eating breakfast it's fasting it's eating at night it's like you can go down the list it's inflammation it's your hormones i'm not saying none of these things tactically play into what is happening in your body but if you think that there is a magic pill or a button that we can press that fundamentally fixes all of these things like literally take a step back and if we had that one thing that one food Someone would come out with it and they would be a bajillionaire and everyone yeah, then it won't be a secret formula anymore. Yeah, you wouldn't like be surprised by this. You wouldn't suddenly stumble upon it. No one would shut up about it. But the wellness industry is driven by industry and it's hard for people who push things like moderation, who push things like mindfulness, who push things like habits, who push things like a different approach, like mindset, self-perception. Mm -hmm. We can talk about self-identity. It ain't sexy. But yeah. you know what? It's a hell of a lot better than being miserable. So my sell is I want to teach you how to coexist 
with the food environment that we live in rather than trying to escape it and fight from it because that's so tiring. And I feel bad for the people who spend their whole life running from one diet to another. And that's what most of us do. I think we're used to food entertaining us, right? Like, and I kind of talk about this a little bit, like food doesn't have to entertain you. I think once you kind of go, wow, that could actually be like a really small part of my life. And look how much more now time and mental energy I have for all the other things I want to do. And that's a shift for a lot of people like me and probably Danny who were chronic dieters for a long time. You know, if you're used to constantly thinking about food and counting and measuring, you have this constant and it's a huge piece of your life when you don't have it be that big anymore. You're kind of like, is this okay? Right. You kind of almost feel disoriented. Like, what am I going to do with all my time now? (laughs) And so I sort of talk about it like that. Imagine being able to like really get your life back. But I think we're so used to it entertaining us and having to be this this hook all the time. Like you mentioned, and I love, obviously, you have a ton of experience with diet books, so you know this better than anyone, especially in the publishing industry. You can't sell a book if it doesn't have a hook. Like They literally will be like, this hook isn't going to sell. Even it could be the most sound advice and the thing that's actually going to work, but the publisher will say that they can't sell it. 100%. And it was the hardest thing with this book. Um, but yeah. it was... You know, I've written a lot of books, I've ghost written a lot of books, but it was like, I'm either writing this book or I'm writing no book at all. That's why I was willing to take nine years trying to figure it out. And I think things are changing, right? Like people like you guys are getting the message out, but it is tough, right? You need this type of book to break through and others like it in order to shift the paradigm of what people are talking about. Because the paradigm right now is like, what is the next cool thing you know someone buy me a cold dub please so i can go just like throw myself in it and freeze every day right and then <laughs> everyone wants a cold buy, and then everyone needs to buy a sauna and then you know the details yep. will come back around and we're gonna have another dietary villain soon i don't know which one is coming up next inflammation is really hot right now lord forget. seed oils seed, seed oils, oils is it right now seed oils yeah. are having their moment that's right the seed oils that yeah. also include things like canola oil which even though when you look from the research like benefits your heart health it's you know no it's killing you yeah. um it's it's hard but i think that's why you write these books because at some point you just say enough and you can say like this is a game that i can't win or you can say like yeah. no I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to try and speak to someone's soul. And so like there is, you know, this is a rigged game. The rigged game is designed to keep on you buying like diet books. I don't want you to buy more diet books. I want you to be able to find community that you can associate with, find people who are like-minded, hopefully not so extreme, right? But find people that fundamentally make you feel good about what you do learn the type of things apply as i call them tools over rules right apply tools that like you don't have to do them every single day right sometimes one tool is all you need sometimes five is what you need because it's a more difficult you know day and you're you're, you're struggling and you need something to hold on mm-hmm. to right? if you know if you're in uh if you're in a tornado right the way to survive a tornado is like get to shelter and to hold on something stable i want this book to be that something stable because i can't mm. stop the tornadoes from happening i can't stop yeah. the stress i can't stop the food environment i can't stop you having cravings, but I can teach you to how to actually appreciate those cravings and eat the thing that you want and then how to make that guilt go away, right? Because so many people will just eat the things that they want, but truly not appreciate it. And then they continue craving and you're like, see, I want this all the time. And I'm like, well, how much did you really appreciate it? How much did you really like sit and be in that moment? Like you said, really, you don't have to think about it because we, again, we catastrophize. How much can like people slow down and learn? Like the average person takes eight to nine minutes to like eat a meal. And as I've told a lot of people, and when I put like a group of 500 people through this, like 
there's a reason why you feel like you're always so hungry. It's like you eat too fast. And I know that sounds really silly, but it's true because digestion process takes approximately 20 minutes. And like, if you eat a ton of food really fast, you're still going to feel hungry. You're not hungry, but you need to slow down, enjoy the people you're with, focus on what's on your plate. Like our eyes sends a sensory signal to our brain, which sends a sensory to your stomach and then back up, letting us know how much we're eating. If we're scrolling and not paying attention, we're eating and eating so quickly or watching TV that we never process like what we're eating, our brain has a harder time identifying what it is that we're eating. And like this stuff isn't like rocket science, but when you start piecing all of these things together and you actually try and do it, when you try and sit and spend 20 to 30 minutes on a meal, oh my goodness, people struggle. You would think that I would ask them to like do something incredibly hard, but they, they can't. There's so much discomfort in it. And it's... It's not huge changes that we need to make, but we do have to fundamentally change the way we look and how you win this game. And winning the game is, to me, it's leaving it. You got to get off that hamster wheel. You got to stop playing this game and play a different one if you truly want to be healthier, if you truly want to be happier, and if you truly want to stop stressing about every single thing you put in your body. I think the stress piece, I really want to come back on that too, is the stressing about putting the things like the stress of dieting, right? I think something that Jill and I saw when we were both kind of getting out of the uh, following a program mentality, I remember the first time I decided to eat after uh, eat carbs after 7 p.m. And that like, I hadn't done that in years. And I had a plate of spaghetti at 10 o'clock at night and the next day I got on the scale and nothing changed. And that was like a big, huge shift for me of like, I was so stressed, like the clock somehow had this magic thing about you can't eat carbs after this time. And there was another time in my life where I was traveling and I was really hungry and I was thinking about there's nothing to eat at the airport that's healthy. And I ended up getting like an egg white McMuffin from McDonald's. And I thought that eating that, even though it wasn't the, the quote best, it was better than stressing about what I was supposed to eat and and also having nothing and being really hungry. And so I think there's the stress of the stress of dieting and then also just stress of life. So do you have any tools in the book that help people manage with either one of those stresses? And what are those what are those tools? Yeah, I think so much of, of dealing with stress starts with understanding that right we build up these behaviors to be something they're not. And mm -hmm. I like to say the important is that like evidence is going to equal confidence. Right. So evidence based medicine, which like can be manipulated quite a bit, is really a mix of two things. It's not just science, right? It's science and real life experience. So you need to figure out like A, what is going to work for you and B, what is supported in some way, ideally by the literature. So you can understand like this works for most people and then you can tweak it and personalize it to yourself. So one thing is like, don't just look at like what gets people to lose weight, right? Because like you're going to find examples on any side of the fence and it gets people to stress about like eating carbs like you said right i want to look at like the people who lose weight and keep it off for years right that's where i want to start it's like you think carbs are going to make you fat you think breakfast is going to make you fat i want to tell you a story about someone i want to tell you about the nwcr it's the national weight control registry most people don't know about this national weight control registry uh manages and watches about ten thousand people who have lost significant amounts of weight. So, you know, more than like 20 pounds typically and have kept it off for years. And then it doesn't look at like, how are we gonna like trace the exact thing that you do? It looks for trends, right? So you got 10,000 people who have kept weight off for years, right? This is like, this is the goal and significant amounts. What do these people do? 
they eat breakfast, they eat carbs, they eat ultra-processed foods, but not too often. Uh, they do not restrict their food. They have a set bedtime. They have set eating times and stop times. And a lot of these tools are about like, so much of life, just like it is in relationships, are about setting boundaries. It is not about like this on and off switch. We think mm -hmm. that our health is an on and off switch. We have to turn off the carbs. We have to turn off the fats. We have to turn off the inflammation. No, no, no. It's about creating boundaries. So a lot of the stress uh, aspect, I ask people to look at other parts of their life where they find success and how can we apply that. A lot of this book, the front half of the book, I cite work of Brene Brown of what she's done. I talk about Ryan Holiday and stoicism. I talked with James Clear for this book in Atomic Habits. Mark Manson, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And the part with Mark's book that we spoke about is that like, was the main theme of like, we focus on too many things. We give a fuck about too many things. If we just focus on one or two things that we really feel are the things that we struggle with the most and figure out how to master that in a way that we feel more control, that reduces the stress. So for me, the stress reduction starts with stress identification and stress identification is disarmed in two different ways. One, showing evidence of why they should have confidence to do other things because like you're afraid to do it because you don't think that it will work. So let me show you enough evidence to believe that it does, right? We are all special snowflakes, but like we're not so different that we can't look at another 10,000 people and be like, no, 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 it works for them. It can't possibly work. <laughs> it's so overwhelming that, right? It's really hard to convince someone to change their mind. You almost have to let them convince it for themselves. Yep. My job yeah. isn't to be so dogmatic and fight people. My job is to say, listen, I've got a lot of things wrong too. I avoided carbs my entire life. I used to count every single macro. I've done things in trying to pursue this. And my job in this industry isn't to be right. It's to get it right. Right. And I want to get it right where I just like, I wanted to take the time to like put together a compelling evidence of being like, look, here's your evidence equals confidence. Here's enough reason to believe that like your body isn't going to fall apart if you have dessert, eat carbs, and occasionally have a glass of wine, okay? Second part is like, if you were to take a, an approach called inversion, right? You invert the situation, you start at the end. Look back at any diet you've been on or imagine if you were to start this diet plan right here, where does it all fall apart? If I were to ask you tomorrow, six months from now, why this diet failed, why did it fail? Where did it all fall apart? And then let's start there and let's boil it down because like that is where the stress is. That is where the friction mm. is. That stress can be different things for each person, but a tool can apply to it to help solve it. And let's focus on that rather than focus on a hundred different things. Let's focus on it. And then let's start creating boundaries about when you eat. When is the kitchen open and closed? I wrote a best-selling book about intermittent fasting. I got nothing against intermittent fasting. Most of what people suggest it does is bullshit. Okay? And I wrote that in 2013. Works for a lot of people. It's not superior. The one thing that intermittent fasting does get right is that it is a tool of like when you should be eating and when you should not be eating. And I'm not talking about like whether you fast 16 hours or 20 hours or 24 hours. I'm talking about acting like your life is a restaurant and there's open and closed hours because where's another air? Food creates the second most amount of stress for most people secondary to work. Why do we have a lot of work stress? Well, we don't exist in a 95 work anymore, right? There's other components. There's money. They're the people you work with. But part of the work stress is that work is never off, right? We get emails. There's these expectations. That creates a ton of pressure. 
if you had a start and stop of your workday, you would eliminate a hell of a lot of stress because like there wouldn't be this expectation that you would be responding and there wouldn't be this pressure that you always need to be on. Food is the same way. I don't care what your hours are. And I cite a study where people moved back their breakfast one and a half hours and they moved their dinner up an hour and a half and they lost a ton of weight. They didn't change anything else, right? They just created a start time and a stop time of their meals because a lot of us mindlessly eat and we act like we can eat at all times because there's food abundance. This isn't anything crazy. And the 1.5 hours up from dinner time doesn't work for a lot of people. I got young kids. If I move our dinner up five hours, they're still in school. I'm not eating dinner. At five. <laughs> it's, not, it's not happening. So the stress identification and then like identifying, right, what can work for people, where your biggest problem area is, and then creating boundaries that gives you more flexibility and freedom while also challenging yourself a little bit to shift your behaviors. And when you start doing that and you minimize what you're focusing on, not trying to focus on everything, and you kind of build out these tools one at a time, uh, that evidence equals confidence works for you on an individual level, right? You start to see the small wins, and the small wins are just like habitually doing these things, feeling better, feeling more in control, realizing the world isn't crashing in. And then you can start adding additional steps to it in the same way that like once you learn addition and subtraction, you can move on to multiplication and division and eventually get to algebra and calculus. Yeah, I love that you mentioned the evidence piece because I feel like that's huge. And for whatever reason, and you mentioned this earlier in the talk today, around when it comes to diet, we're so scared to mess up. The stakes feel so much higher. But it, imagine just taking someone and saying, hey, try something totally different, like for a week, right? You can always go back to the, the cardio is not going anywhere, the no carbs aren't going anywhere, the diets aren't going anywhere. Try something different just for a week. And if it doesn't work for you, it's not going to derail your entire metabolism to the point where like you can't get back to baseline. And that was really, um, and Danny and I've talked about this quite a bit on the, on the show that for me, it was really what sort of like opened my eyes to a different way of doing things. I had a week where I was like, so disgusted by just the diet food. I was forcing myself to eat. I was like, I'm not, I'm not making food this week. I had, I'd done Sunday food prep for like seven years in a row, every single Sunday. And I was like, I'm just not doing it this week. I'll figure it out. I'll probably be at McDonald's every meal. I got to the end of the week. I did not go to McDonald's. It wasn't perfect, but nothing changed. My clothes still fit. I didn't gain the 50 pounds I thought I was going to. And so it's almost like it's hard because you have to show people this, like you said, evidence that like they can do it, but they're so scared. So why do you feel like the stakes are so much higher when it comes to eating than it is to learning math or learning a musical instrument or learning a new language where we just know we're going to mess up, but somehow when it comes to our bodies, we can't mess up or else we're like, you know, something's going to break. Because that's what we're told. And it sucks. That's what we're told. You know, if I could give people like you guys a, a megaphone, I would do it in a heartbeat. I try to do that. It's been my job the last decade where I've tried to take more of a behind the scenes standpoint and try and highlight more people that I think are the ones that need to be amplified. And that'll probably be my mission until they put me in, in the ground. Um, I realized a while ago that I didn't, it didn't need to be about me in order for me to help as many people as possible. And I had to write this book because I had to do it for myself because I wanted to write it so bad. But I very much really since my last book decided purposely to focus more on elevating other people and building other businesses that could have an amplifier effect rather than making it about myself. Cause I realized that some people are supremely talented at doing that. I'd rather put them in a position to succeed. But when you look at the people, most of them who have the megaphones in the industry, they're telling them to feel this way. They're telling them their bodies are 
fragile and frail and they guilt and shame them, right? It, the guilt and shame is the wellness industry because that's what makes you vulnerable to want to buy, right? If we break someone enough and our health is important and it certainly- If they cry, they buy? Yeah. Well, if you get desperate <laughs> enough and if you think that you can't do this on your own, if you think you're going to screw it up, you're going to buy and you're going to buy a lot because you don't feel in control. And I hate it. I absolutely hate it. You, we need more people sharing that. But again, like- it, it's easier to, to sell that way. So why do we think that way? It's because we're, we're told that way. But again, like the, the way to fight it is to do what you guys do. The way to fight it is to try and let people to come to the same conclusion. And like an analogy I love to give people that sometimes helps people click on and what you talked about, Joe, was so true. Like I, I put 500 people through this plan and a prerequisite was you had to eat takeout two to three times a week while this plan. Nice. nice. We'll be signed up. We'll be yeah. signing yeah. up for that. Like, you have to. And beyond this, you don't have to, but I need you to see that everything that you think is going to fall apart is going to do this. Mm. And this came out of my own experience. I went through a period of my life where I was on the road every single week, three days a week for two years. I would not recommend it. It was terrible. And I became less healthy. And my response was to catastrophize and make things more extreme. And I made it 10 times worse than it was in the first place, as opposed to like just mm. reverting to the norm. And once I realized that like, I was the problem because I was, you know, dramatizing the uh, the approach that I was taking, and I knew all this stuff. It's like, oh my goodness, how did I fall victim to this? How did I? Because it's the same exact thing. I, I was like, oh, I got to do this and this and this. Don't you think when you're a fitness professional, though, like the shame is on steroids a little bit, oh, right? Because you go, yeah. well, if anyone should be able to do this, it's me. Without a doubt, you know, people like when they meet me, they're like, they're so disappointed. Like I thought you'd be taller, and <laughs> jacked, and I'm like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm short and I'm fit. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's, that's where that's where I'm. Do you want to see this picture from 2009? And I'm like, I look the same. Um, I, I, well, that's a win. See. Yeah, that's a huge win, right? I, I like to think that I'm better at 40 than I was at 30, and that's a win for me, right? And I'm I know what I want to look like and how I want to feel. I want to eat Frosted Flakes like four nights a week. That's my thing. It's not yours, but like, man. Frosted flakes are delicious and it's good for me and I'm good to go. But people are just, they're sold this idea that they need these extremes. They're sold this idea that their bodies are frail. But if I were to flip it on its head and I say, I want you to imagine the following scenario. You're going to work out one time every two weeks and that workout is going to be amazing. You're going to crush it. You're going to just go after it for three hours, but you're only doing like once every two weeks, right? And that's it. How fit are you gonna get? And they're like, probably not that you're one day a week, one day, yeah, how fit are you gonna get? Just, just once every two weeks, yeah. Probably not gonna make that much bigger difference. Right, so why when you go ahead and eat something once every couple weeks or a couple times mm. a week, do you freak out? If this is a game of percentages, mm. I don't know, like, let's say that you just eat whatever you want. I don't like that, you know, no one likes cheat meals because, like, no one should feel guilty, right? I don't care about terminology, but there really shouldn't be any guilt or punishment associated, right? Let's say the average person eats three times a day, and they have seven days in a week. There are 21 meals in a week on average. Most people, because of snacking, will eat more. If two of those meals aren't great, aren't nutritious, and you're truly just eating whatever you want and enjoying it, do you really think that being plus 90% on your meals is not gonna lead to an amazing outcome. 
in what scenario in life when you are 90% good 90% of the time, are you not having an unbelievable chef's kiss outcome? Yeah. You, you are. But we teach people that they're frail because we're selling them something. Like your bodies are resilient. Your bodies are incredibly capable of things. I've even said there's a study that looked at people who would do a caloric deficit, so eat a little bit less for two weeks, and then just kind of slide into maintenance and do like nothing. They wouldn't overeat, but they're like a lot more lax, eating things that they want for two weeks. So two weeks on, two weeks off. And then compared that to people who uh, just dieted the whole time, right? The duration was the same. I believe it's the Matador study. And you would think if you got two weeks on, two weeks off, and you're doing this several months, like that's a lot of weeks off. They've got to be like way worse off. No, same results on weight loss. And the people who were like two weeks on, two weeks off were way more consistent and way happier because they weren't just slaving over the diet. And it's like, well, what happened? And it's like, our bodies don't just shift like that, right? Like, again, the analogy that I talked about earlier about that UCLA study, average person gains like one to two pounds Per year that's an average right so some years might be less some years might be more one or two pounds per year and the funny part is, is that we also in general gain about one to two pounds during the holidays so a lot of the weight gain is just concentrated at one time during the year where we kind of just go off but like the rest of the year we're just like fluctuating and, and like most people truly take off like the last two months of the year and eat whatever they want yep. and like the byproduct is you gain one pound now that's not the goal but the point is if people would just kind of eat normally around the holidays and then enjoy the holidays, your your net on the year would probably be zero. And if you had better foundational habits and tools throughout the rest of the year, you're in you're in the negative or you're maintaining if that's the goal. You're just feeling good and you're not losing your mind. So, you know, we feel totally. that way because that is what we hear repeatedly as opposed to just yeah. like your body is strong. Your body is resilient. You can do amazing, amazing things as long as we just stop punishing ourselves repeatedly, because like, yeah, if you spend half the year punishing yourself, yeah, the outcome isn't gonna be that great. No, I love how you said that because I feel like not only are we taught that, but then we, you know, for a lot of people, they do lose weight the first time they diet. And then, I don't know, I work with people and all they wanna do is get back to that. They're like, I need to go back to Weight Watchers. I was like, when did you do that? It was like 15 years ago. They lost 30 pounds and then they slowly put it, but that's all they can see is that one time they did that one thing that worked. And I'm like, that was before you had three kids, right? And also like, it's just a totally different, you have a different metabolism. So I love this idea of the metabolism being, um, or just the, like being resilient and being powerful and like not being as fragile as diets, traditional diets would make people believe. And so this book, I'm just so excited. I saw the, as soon as you messaged me and I saw the tagline, I was like, oh, we got to talk about this. We got to get Adam on the podcast. So it's called, you can't screw this up. Danny, did you do everything else? We kind of lost you. No, I'm still here. Hi. I just, hi. <laughs> hi. My battery was dying and one of my ports is not working. So I had to swap out my camera port for my plug port. So here we are. Oh, hi. I'm here. <laughs> um, I'm excited about this book because honestly, this is definitely something Dan and I can, can definitely get behind. And in terms of like changing the space, this is what does it. 
books like this, right? That breakthrough. And, um, you know, obviously you've been doing this a long time. You, uh, you know, are really well respected in the industry. You know, a lot of people in the industry, like we need more people like you putting these messages out because that's how we're going to break through. We see these massive, um, influencers pushing these weird, like sometimes MLM type things and whatever. And they just like, to your point, they have a megaphone. And so the more we see people like you putting this messaging out there and really talking about it and really understanding not only the, the research, but also the psychology of this and putting 500 people through a diet like this, so I can have takeout a couple times a week. You kidding me? It almost feels too good. You know what I mean? It almost feels like really, what's the catch, Adam? You know what I mean? Like I read this tagline, I'm like, and I know personally that this can work, but also it almost feels too good. Like what's the catch? Am I going to be like fasting the rest of the time? <laughs> I can have dessert, but then I can't anything else that day or what? And so I love that you said that, you know, creating this show of evidence and also that study that the 10,000 people went through and, you know, being able to keep it off and still being able to like just eat normally. I feel like there's definitely, you mentioned earlier, sort of this curse of knowledge you know, when you first start out in your nutrition journey, you don't really know anything, right? So you're learning everything. And then you get to this point where I think a lot of our peers are at, and I certainly was too, where you get excited about like learning everything and you almost learn too much to the point where you do feel like every tiny decision is really important and it's just not. And then you get to where maybe you're at now and you're just like, actually, none of that shit matters. <laughs> like right. three things matter and that's kind of it. And that's a really great place to be. And it sounds like you're sort of bringing bringing people on that, on that, uh, on that journey. That is the goal, right? We, we ingest so much information, right? It's nonstop. How do we minimize and simplify so that you're in a position where you can just act and do and feel good about it. And when you get there, it's a beautiful thing. And you realize, right? You're there. I'm there. You realize how much you complicated things. You realize how much like you just were focusing on things that were fundamentally not necessary. And that's the goal, right? I want people to be in a place where they are in control. I want them to feel good about things. I want them to be able to eat and not stress. I, the, the catch is that like you just haven't tried something like this before right. because you were told that it can't work. Not because it doesn't work, because like I don't have anything to sell you other than a way of life right? My, my cell here is like, how nice would it be to like stop dieting? Right. And then instead of like worrying about what the next diet book is or the next thing that you have to do, you can decide to align yourself with the different values or people that like support you being healthier. And like, my goal is to make people feel better in their pursuit of wellness than like tearing them down and making them feel worse. So they keep on buying. I'd much rather right. them towards the people that will like keep them feeling good and then you want to be around those people because like oh you weren't the people who like told me that i had to fast and can never eat sugar and like made me feel like shit about myself yeah i would prefer right. for you to not be in those environments and just try something different and there are those people out there and my job my hope with this book is that it opens their eyes that if they're questioning if those people are true if they're questioning if this can work this is about as evidence-based you're finding. There are 100 plus studies in here that like make a very, very compelling argument, not about taking one side or another. It's I'm very diet agnostic, right? Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. have a single style of dieting that works. I do have a fundamental approach to life about the habits that you should build that will serve you well. 
and about the things that you shouldn't do so much so from a mindset standpoint so that when life happens, you know, everything doesn't fall apart because it doesn't need to. I hear so many people talk about how this isn't a diet, it's a lifestyle, (laughs) which is like kind of a weird soundbite, but this feels like the most lifestyle, not a diet book I've heard of. Like this actually is how you can live your life. And I really, really like that. I I feel like we hear that so often and I I think it doesn't really make sense in, in most of the context. They're like, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle, but you have to live this certain lifestyle. Just and you, eat, can, you have all these rules. three <laughs> shakes a day. It's a lifestyle, no problem. Yeah. Everything you do, right? Like yeah. the, the lifestyle portion for me is like, what do you, what do you value? What do you care about? Yeah. How do yeah. you want to spend your time? What fills you up? What takes energy? Like, I, I hate it when people tell me that they're like stressed like 100 times a day thinking about what they're going to eat. That's, yeah. that's not a way to, or like oh, the exact way that they should exercise. I can tell you what type of exercise I enjoy. I can tell you about 10 different types of exercises that are effective. I'm offering you a way to like, you don't have to live in the gym. Jim, I know you represent this as well. Like I will take intensity over time, 10 out of 10 days oh, yeah. a week. I will, and I will take a good walk these days, almost over anything or doing an activity yep. you love as a way to just yep. get your heart rate up. And like we tell people this is a lifestyle, but it's the lifestyle that we're giving them. If we truly want to make it a lifestyle, Mm. we start with like, what is it that you want your life to look like? And then how do we support that? Like you don't tell people how to live their life. What an egotistical way to- This is the only place we do it, right? This (laughs) is like the only place we do it. We're like, hey, live your life, but also only eat these 14 foods. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and you ate that? Oh, and you ate more than that? Oh, you have no willpower. You have no motivation. <laughs> You're so weak. You don't care about this. I was like, oh, come on. But again, that works because it makes people feel bad because they will they will look in the mirror or they will look and compare themselves to someone or they will ask themselves how they feel about their health. And it won't be aligned with what they want to achieve. Right? This idea of cognitive dissonance is so important that if you're thoughts are not aligned with your actions something has to give and you either change your actions or you change your thoughts and oftentimes people will tell themselves they're not happy and what ends up happening or they're not healthy and in order instead of like changing the mindset they can be healthy if they are healthy they just change their behaviors to align with that and right. that's that's awful right that it's just like i i don't want people to be prisoners of their own mind especially when it comes to wellness and especially when this is doable for anyone, right? We talk about like metabolism, the idea of like the, the grit and resilience. There are a lot of different things that happen throughout our life. And when we exercise and when we eat well, and we go through different stages of aging, but a study that came out less than a year ago showed that like uh, when you adjust for age and sex and the tip, typical differences, our metabolism does not change from the time we're 18 until we were 60. Wow. Right. So the people who move more will be like burning more, but that's accounted for by the movement. We are talking about that or essentially what most people refer to as like your BMI, your basal metabolic rate to like what you're burning at rest. So additional variables that will affect, right? If you're eating more protein, your metabolism will shift, but the resting metabolism of your body is very, very stable from the time you're 18 until 60. Talk about speaking about resiliency. And again, it's not to say hormonal changes don't happen because those hormonal changes affect the way that we have energy. They affect the way that right. our hunger, our cravings, all of these play into the total, right? Like calories in, calories out. Just the metabolism on its own 
is stable for like 40 years because we are resilient people. So we have to stop Mm -hmm. thinking that we are broken or need fixing and instead just realize that we need tweaking. Like we're all on a journey and we're all at different parts of the journey. And if you're not where you want to be yet, the answer isn't like punishing yourself. The answer isn't like doing some extreme. It's, it's actually probably doing a little bit more of what you crave and desire and a little bit more of what you're uncomfortable with. The big premise at one point I'd called the book, The Comfort Zone, because I think that it is uh, very misleading for us to think that we only need to seek discomfort. And I think it's dangerous because uh, performance, optimal performance actually comes at this like uh, sweet spot of how much stress we are surviving in. So there's a mm. model known as the yerkes dodson curve. It's an inverted U where on like the X axis, you're essentially looking at how much stress you're in. And the Y axis, you're looking at your performance, your ability to succeed at something. And when you don't challenge yourself at all, right, you're at one end of that inverted U where like you're just not pushing yourself. You're not going to get better, right? Like you, you need, like anything, you need a little bit of resistance in order to change. At the other end is where you have this really, really high stress, and it's the exact same thing. You don't improve mm. at all. In so many diets, they tell you like, all right, we're gonna cut out all carbs in the first week, and you're gonna exercise six times a week, and you're gonna walk 10K steps, and oh, your favorite foods, all of them are going out, no more cooking oils, and you're just like, oh my goodness, right? It's like drinking from a fire hose. And yeah, you can do it for a week or two, maybe three or four, but then you fall off. That's why we see the typical pattern of like, I lost weight. And here's the messed up part of it. You lose that weight that during that initial adaptation phase because you're like doing the stuff that's so difficult and then you see the results and then you associate the results with those extremes. Yep. That's the manipulation. Diet industry is just like, it's an abusive relationship, right? It is manipulating you into thinking because you did this new thing where you probably could have done anything new. You probably could have like, three K steps, right? Or you could have like switched the soda to the diet soda, gosh forbid diet soda, and done nothing (laughs) else. Done nothing else and it would have got better. It's why when you do real science, you have your independent and your dependent variable. You want to minimize the number of variables you change so you know what is working for you. Mm. Minimize the number of change and this is again a fundamental principle of habit based change. Make it so easy it's hard to fail. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean don't add any challenge. We need, again, we need some of that friction. You have to step out. But my argument is you don't have to leave your comfort zone. You have to expand it. You have mm-hmm. one foot in with the things that you know and love, right? So maybe you're still having one dessert a night. Maybe you're eating some of the foods and one foot out. You're adding vegetables. You're eating protein and fibers at your meal. You're going for a walk or you're doing three workouts a week that are only 20 minutes at a time. But you're doing, you're starting with one of those things and you see what it does for you. And you see how compliant you can be. Can you be that 80 to 90% compliant? Not perfect, but 80 to 90% with those one things. And can you be 80 to 90% compliant for two weeks, for three weeks? Oh my goodness, I feel better, I have more energy. Then you add, it's almost like habit stacking. But again, like we don't need to change all of these things. Like we can take a minimal effective, a minimum effective dose approach to these things and see how your body adjusts because it will and you need to just stop associating this idea that i need to abandon all of my comfort in order to improve no because what happens when you expand your comfort zone is the things that once seemed difficult right the i'm too afraid to put my foot into the water going back to the pool analogy something becomes fine and you're swimming in the deep end and then the things that no longer serve you as you progress as a human you leave behind 
And this happens at all stages. Like, right? We, we've all been in relationships that we didn't like. And it's not like we went into those being idiots purposely. We, we learn what we like. We learn what benefits us. And from those experiences, some of them which are hard and painful, we then learn what we want moving forward and we leave the rest behind. That is growth. Growth is not like I figure it all out all at once. Growth is I progressively take on new things, figure out what works for me, and I abandon the stuff. And if you take this idea of expanding your comfort zone, if you take mm -hmm. this idea of I'm going to do something new and challenging that is difficult, but one at a time, while still doing some of what is familiar, as you master these new things, you do start to feel better. And you do realize that some things that you once thought you needed or served you don't serve you at all. And it's very, very easy to leave them on your own volition rather than being forced into it and that's mm -hmm. the goal you can't screw this up is to give you a plan that is simple simple enough that you can say like i'm not going to screw this up but also realizing you're not going to screw it up because like the things you think you need to abandon or the things you think you need to change you don't need to do and those little missteps are actually just a planned part of the journey they are not a roadblock they are not a ditch they're just a planned bump in the road that you can ride right over Keep on your path. It's so good. I love good. the flexibility. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I love the flexibility of it. I guess, I don't know if flexibility is the right word, um, but just the example you gave earlier of asking someone if they worked out just twice a month for three hours, what kind of result would that give you? And why are we thinking like the opposite would happen if you just eat bad a couple times? And so I was thinking, kind of going back to the earlier conversation with your dad, I was remembering when my mom, um, when she was first diagnosed with her brain tumor, I was taking her to appointments and going to the hospital and there was no way if I was on a quote program that I could have stuck to something. And I was even thinking about people who talk about meal prep, even just meal prepping, right? The idea is great. We're going to meal prep. We're going to have everything ready. If we're prepared or for, we fail to prepare, we wait, prepare, <laughs> fail to is, prepare, fail to prepare. You, you know, plan to fail. To fail. Yeah. So, right. So, you know, I know there's people who are like, okay, I, I meal prep, I get all my food ready, but certain times of life, you know, having a child or dealing with a sick person or you being sick yourself, suddenly that preparation goes out the window and your whole life can't fall apart. So this is a beautiful way of being flexible and also allowing for life to be life and not having everything get derailed. Because we talked earlier about the fuck it moment and I've definitely been there, but sometimes the fuck it moment isn't because you're so sick of dieting. It's because something happened and now you can't like can't do my meal prep anymore because now I, you know, I'm at the hospital all the time. So I just love that this is, it's a flexible way of life and resiliency is such a great term in here that your body's resilient, your lifestyle can be resilient, everything can ebb and flow. And I had no idea that our metabolism doesn't really change because I remember growing up thinking or being told, oh, you're getting older, your metabolism's slowing down. I mean, you feel like at age 30, suddenly you're you're got a death sentence and you're just instantly going to start gaining weight. And like, by the time you're 40, you're going to keep putting on weight. You look at a cupcake and now you're putting on 10 pounds. So the idea that our bodies are a lot more resilient than we think that there's some flexibility in what we could do with these, with our meals and just having the, I don't know, broad general idea I feel is like, honestly, it feels like freedom. Like this feels like a free way to eat and, and, it feels very flexible and I don't know, open. We're well, giving people the tools, right? Like that, it sounds like it's like, cool. You know, people say, oh, I need to do a sugar detox or I need to just go back to that thing I was doing. 
like, God forbid, yeah, you're taking care of a sick parent and you can't meal prep everything, but you don't know what to do instead because it's the only thing that the only way you know how to be successful is if you're in your own kitchen with your own food and your own meal prep and your own, like, you know, your gym that you have to go to every day. Like if you, if everything has to be just so for you to be successful, that's going to break really quickly. Right. And so it sounds like instead you're actually like, I loved how you said tools over rules, exactly that. And so this is definitely... I am excited for this. And I do agree with you. I think that the narrative is changing a little bit, but we need a book like this to like wrap it all together. We have like these little pockets, the like the, you know, the intuitive eating pocket. And we have like some of these other, you know, that I think are, are mo- sort of moving. Uh, you know, you mentioned um, Brene Brown's work and a lot of like self-compassion work and things like that. We are seeing way more of that, which I think is helping. But a book like this, it just puts it all together from someone who has obviously been in the industry for a long time and has seen all of the different things uh, that our industry has been up to. It just really, it's an, it's a really important book. So just congratulations. Thank you. It is a, a labor of love, but something I had to do. I had to, because we need to have this conversation. And uh, I like both of you, there are a few things that are more rewarding than helping people. There, there truly are. And when you can do something that's bigger than yourself and help a lot of people, it's amazing. you got you to do it. Well, hopefully Danny's book will be out maybe next year. I don't know. Yeah. But... <laughs> Ironically, too, my book was about starting over. And when I started to look at it again, I was like, I feel like I have to start from scratch on this. And, <laughs> and I was like, of course, of course, this is this is what it's going to be. But I think narrative you know, because it's real, right? How can you write a book about starting over without having to start it over? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so true. It's so true. But I mean, to your your you know your nine year journey and your book too, I feel like this is also one of those things. And I feel like the book comes out when it's ready to come out and when it was meant to be written. And for whatever reason that it happens to be this terrible timing in your life, I feel like it's also the timing for you to write the chapters you wrote and, and get those lessons from your from your dad. And I just want to say I'm, I'm deeply sorry for what you're going through with that because I, I know it all too well. And um, I, I think this will be an amazing legacy that his name will be in it and it's dedicated to him and the lessons you got. You, I mean, your lessons, of course, are from your experience over the years, but I think his influence and what you learned from this is really powerful mm-hmm. too. So thank you. Um, yeah, that's the nicest thing you'd say. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here, buddy. We are going to uh, make sure that everyone gets uh, this book. So where is, I know it's um, being released uh, May 23rd. So hopefully this will be actually, yeah, Danny, we'll just publish this next week. So it'll be good timing. Uh, make sure you guys go to the book. Is there a website that they should go to, to check out all the details? Are you doing any bonuses, any of that kind of thing? Or what's, yeah. where's the best place for them to pick it up? You can go to can't screw this up.com. So if you're having trouble remembering the URL, URL. It's just can't screw this up. There is no you on it. But can't screw this up.com. <laughs> there are bonuses because I think, you know, when people support your work, you want to give back to them as much as possible. So there are lots of cool bonuses that you can get there. And if you do buy two books, I believe in gifting books is one of my favorite things in the world. I don't believe in doing the three, five, 10, 15, 50. I don't know what someone's doing with freaking 50 books like that. <laughs> hundred bucks. Yeah. Right. It's, it's ridiculous. Two books because gifting books is something that is really kind. Uh, I think the crown jewel of that is uh, I'm going to bring a couple people to come and train with me and Arnold Schwarzenegger at Gold's Gym to give people a, an experience of a lifetime because uh, Arnold is maybe one of the most interesting people in the world to train with and just a wealth of knowledge. So there are bonuses there, but you know, I think the book stands alone on its own, but because 
the best way to, to win people for life is to give them undeniable value. And my goal is to give back to people so that book and bonuses make you feel like uh, everyone's money is hard earned. I want you to feel like it is well spent. Love it. Love that. And where, where can people follow you on social? You can find me Born Fitness on any of the socials. Born Fitness. Make sure you guys are connected with Adam. He is a wealth of knowledge. He's written a lot of books and um, yeah, you're just the best man. And so just glad that we were able to make this happen. You and I have been connected a long time. So thank you for being here and uh, whatever we can do to support you. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, guys, we'll talk to you on the next episode. Go check out Adam's stuff and get this book because y'all need it. And you know, we have these conversations all the time on this podcast, but go ahead and read the book start to finish. Let us know what you think. Let Adam know what you think. Leave a review, all that good stuff. And we'll talk to you soon.